0: Disruption is a word that gets thrown around a lot in business. It's curious because most people don't want their day-to-day to to be disrupted in regular life. People don't just casually offer up the phrase, I can't wait for some disruption today. But that's why it's absolutely necessary. It helps to change things up and see the world differently. Umesh Sashdev, the co-founder and CEO of Unifor, explains how he first realized the call center industry was ready for an evolution
1: in 2014, 2015, I started researching. It turns out 15 million workers work in call centers. It's a $500 billion industry. And I said, this is an industry that's waiting to be disrupted. Much like the founder of Uber would have thought the logistics or transportation industry is waiting to be disrupted, or the founder of Airbnb would have thought the same thing about their industry. Constructive disruption isn't destructive.
0: It's also not an end to itself. Instead, it's a means to an end and the desired result is to build upon an earlier version of a solution and enhance it. With that sense of purpose, disruption morphs into innovating to improve the quality of life for people. In business, the benefit is cornering a market with loads of potential. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Umesh discusses how revolutionizing the call center industry was really about his primary passion, which was utilizing AI to help people better understand each other. Humesh explains that AI can now understand language, tone, and even facial recognition. AI that truly understands humans and is automated to provide relevant information as needed in real time has the potential to disrupt and improve just about every aspect of society. Enjoy the episode. Welcome everyone to another episode of IT Visionaries and today, special guest, we have the co-founder and CEO of Unifor, that is spelled U-N-I-P-H-O-R-E, Umesh Sashdev, welcome to the show.
1: Albert, it's, it's great to be on your show and uh, I'm looking forward to an engaging conversation, but moreover, having a lot of fun during this conversation with you. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, we can't wait. Listen, right out the gate, we always ask all of our guests, what is Unifor and what does it do? A lot of our audience knows a lot about tech, but they don't know everything. So tell us what is Unifor?
1: Unifor, Albert, is a conversational automation company for the entire enterprise. And what that means is, as we, as business folks, as professionals, converse with each other, either over phone calls, like we do in call centers, or on video calls like these, Unifor has developed AI and automation that can help get better value extracted from these conversations, help people within the enterprise, call center worker, salespeople, marketing people, just be better at their job by having AI work better in these conversations. So explain to us how that works because I'll use
0: my frame of scope and then hopefully, I think I know where people are coming from, but I'd love for you to add to it. So conversational AI, let's say in the past, you and I have a conversation, I'm your sales rep, you're my prospect. I was required to write what you said, what I think I heard you say, and I was supposed to hit on all the important notes into my like CRM maybe. And I would have a sales manager then ask me questions about what I wrote and try to understand what was said between you and I. So that's how it used to be. What does Unifor do that's different than that process I just described?
1: That's a great segment. Thank you for leading me into it. (laughs) But in sales now, I'm a sales guy and I love selling. I love meeting customers. But one of the things that I was taught early, Albert, in my career, is that 93% of the buying decision is based on gestures, emotion, and the connect mm. that the salesperson makes with the buyer. Okay, 93%. Only 7% is then the, oh, now let me compare my options. Okay, and a lot of people uh, ignore this fact or don't know this fact. And so, When In the old days, when we had the opportunity to meet all our customers in person, when you would walk into a a mall to pick up a mobile phone as opposed to going online and buying it, things were different. We could see each other. We could form the connection. On video calls now, like these, or on phone calls, forming that emotional connection is hard, okay? Yeah. So that's problem number one. Problem number two in this sales example that you picked is that the, the salesperson is required to be an expert. So much like you would ask me, you know, what percentage of a gain does your software do on a sales meeting? And I'll have to remember it was 82.4%. So sometimes now the salesperson may not have the data in front of them, or it's a tricky question, or how does your product compare to somebody else's product? And so having that information available in real time at their fingertips, so they're never fumbling and they come across intelligence problem number two. And the problem number three is what you led me to is that at the end of the call, ideally as a busy sales professional, because I'm meeting so many customers a day, I want to take notes. Yeah. I want to remember what you and I discussed so I can follow up with you and say, you had asked me that question, Albert, I got a better answer. Can I come back and tell you that? Right? Yeah. So these three problems in a sales meeting, imagine having like your mentor sit with you off camera next to you and say, you know, Albert's facial expression changed when you said that. So he really liked that issue or he raised his eyebrow and he's not convinced about that issue. So (laughs) think about somebody coaching you in real time of how sentiment and engagement is changing depending on what you say and what that means to the customer. Okay. Also imagine your mentor sitting here. See, the answer to that question is 82.3%. Okay. So that I, I, as a salesperson, never have, to say, let me you know, take a moment, let me find that answer. Because if I don't know it, what I'm conveying to you is that I'm not on top of my game, right?
0: Yeah, lack of uh, expertise, lack of knowledge is what I'll assume. Exactly.
1: <laughs> and imagine at the end of the meeting, your coach or your mentor saying, here's the notes for you, here's what I noted. Now you're prepared for the next meeting, go to your next meeting. So having these assistant tools or, or technologies which augment the human being or augment the seller be at the top of their game is a great example now we do this for call center workers we do this for sellers and we're going to do it for every professional in the enterprise whether they're in the hr function or the marketing function etc does that make sense
0: yeah this was really cool uh, i think i understand completely your second example is probably the most relevant to all of us listeners no matter what role we play because inevitably We work with people in customer service and inevitably we are going to get roadblocked by something where that person might not know the answer, whether you're getting troubleshooting on a product or you're getting information on like flights, something you can't control and change on your own. So you're saying that your technology is actually going to read and understand what the person is saying, not only give leading indicators to the person on the phone that's using the product like, hey, they're not convinced, they're not happy, they're some leading indicators of behavior, but you're also able to search like the the ocean of information to bring back something relevant because how it was done in the past, because I've been on the customer service side is I had a keystroke that or like on the sales side, someone would be like, your sales I remember my sales engineer would be like, oh, it's in the sell sheet. I was like, well, I can't look it up in real time while this guy's talking to me. (laughs) You know
1: what I mean? I can't figure this out. (laughs) So you you bring up a great point. Think about it. Every time any of us have called a customer service representative, an 800 number yeah. for an airline, yeah. for you know, e-commerce, for any of those businesses. Think about it this way. Each time you were put on hold by the representative, the representative had to f- go to some, some other uh, software and find that answer, okay? Because yeah. they just didn't have it. And it's not their fault. They, they are passionate about helping us and solving the problem. But the reason we as callers get frustrated is, hey, you know, you put me on hold for eight minutes to find that answer. Could, could you not be faster? And it's not their fault. This is how the call centers are structured. But that's the problem we are solving that as soon as you ask the question, you know, I was overcharged for this bill last month. I wonder why that is. Imagine the answer just flashing in front of the agent and saying, tell Albert he was overcharged because, you know. He, he was uh, watching Netflix for, for 10 more minutes than his usual capacity is. And well, by the way, we're going to wave it off as a one-time gesture. But you know, next time you watch Netflix for 10 more minutes on your monthly account, you will get an overcharge. So it's equipping the call center agent with the right answer at the right time, with the right tools at the right time, the ability to read the room or read the emotion much much better. And so ultimately convert the call center agent into a super agent and help them do a much better job at what they wanna do. So that's fascinating. I can feel the frustration. I mean, we've all been
0: there. Anyone who's ever called into a call center has felt the frustration of being put on hold, not understanding why you can't get an answer faster. I'm also aware Mm -hmm. of modern search uh, knowledge bases. You know what I mean? Like I think we all have very little patience because we use the chat. It searches up the answer. We don't recognize it within a minute. We probably say, talk to an agent. (laughs) (laughs) that's how humans are. Give us an idea of how you started solving this problem, because it's a a problem we all encounter. When did you recognize that maybe you had a solution to to attack this problem, that you could build a company around this solution?
1: So Albert, this goes back about 15 years. I founded Unifor in 2008. Uh, The companies in these 15 years created a lot of good technology. We filed a lot of patents. I personally have 16 patents to my name. And (laughs) over these 15 years, what we've been doing, here are the the building blocks of solving this problem. The first thing that we started doing is getting a computer to understand what we are saying. Okay. And that's easier said than done because first the computer needs to understand our words, each word. Then it needs to stitch a sentence and really get the meaning behind the sentence. Why was I overcharged The computer needs to convert speech to text, understand the sentiment behind my question. Okay. And we call it intent recognition. So get the intent of the caller and then possibly do this in over hundred global languages, not just English, right? Because callers can call in Asia, in Europe, in Latin America, right? And so the first problem that we started to solve was speech recognition, natural language processing and intent recognition. Then once we got better at it and we said, you know, it's not enough. The way human brain works is it doesn't just hear the words. It also pays attention to tone. So today I can convey excitement that I'm launching a brand new product so you can hear it in my voice. I'm excited. Or I can even convey I'm really disappointed in your performance. So you can hear my emotion in my voice. Right. So then we worked on developing the ability for AI to listen to tonal changes. Not just the words, but now tonal changes, okay? And once we got both of them working in real time, that as you and I are speaking, there could be an AI listener listening to this conversation and really understanding. Then we said, now it's about getting the right answer, right? So AI is listening. It heard the question. Now, how do we get the right answer? And you said knowledge bases are complex. The search algorithms don't work. (laughs) So then we had to go build robotic process automation or RPA Which is now this robotic system that can go into a knowledge base or go into an ERP or go into a CRM and extract things out. Yeah. Because we need it in real time. So those have been the building blocks of us trying to get to where we are today. How about earlier than that? How
0: did you, you know, we've all experienced this problem. Did you recognize it right away? Like, hey, I'm a I have technical expertise. I think I can solve this. Give us the foundational even before Unifor existed when you, you know, kind of like the year before Unifor even exists. How are you thinking about this problem? Give us an idea of what you, were, what you thought you could accomplish and how you
1: wanted to first approach it. Albert, the story is, uh, in hindsight, very fascinating. <laughs> the reason I founded the company was that I was fascinated by the fact that technology is catching up where computers can begin to understand and converse with us. So much like Apple's Siri or, or the Google Assistant or Amazon's Alexa, They came about much later, but in 2007, in 2008, remember iPhone hadn't been launched yet. And that's when I founded the company. And so I got fascinated by beginning to solve the speech recognition problem in multiple languages around the world. Nothing to do yet with enterprises or helping call center workers and things like that, right? So I I just said that the next billion users of the internet which are in probably in countries like India or Africa in lesser developed countries, they would consume the internet, not over the computer by using a keyboard and mouse. They would interact with the internet using their voice and their words and in hundreds of global languages. So people would speak to a machine and expect the machine to talk back and say, you know, when's the next flight to Boston? And they would expect the answer back. Right. Yeah. So that's why I founded the company. Now, In the first couple of years, as we built the early version of this technology and we solved for some specific use cases, and we started going out and showing it to customers, and we said, listen, we've got this fascinating thing. You can get your consumers to talk to an app and the app talks back and it's a great experience. And then some of those enterprises, I remember one of them was a major bank, a Fortune 500 bank, and another was a media company. And they said, what you just showed us is great, we have a real need in our call center because the traffic in the call center is growing up. We can't hire enough executives fast enough. Can we apply our technology to at least address some of the calls that are coming in, if not all, so that the gap between demand and supply is not that much. Our hold times are 26 minutes. We want to bring it down, etc. And I remember it was around 2014, 2015 that we've got our first project in a call center. And that's where my, it was a mind-blowing experience. I said, this industry is so primitive. It hasn't been <laughs> disrupted in the last 30 years, right? We, we, when we think of a call center, we think about a table chair, computer, headset, mic. Mm-hmm. get a human, train them and go. Rows of people, yeah.
0: Right. Limited knowledge base. Hey, I know my thing. If you ask me a question, I can't answer. I got to transfer you. Like that, that's typically how we think of
1: it. There you go, period, <laughs> right? That's it. Now, it's so fascinating that in 30 years, This technology or this system hasn't evolved, right? And which is why in 2021, where you and I are used to driving an electric car or using our iPhone or getting an Amazon Alexa-like experience at home, you dial an 800 number and I'm in in 1970s all over again, right? This is so (laughs) primitive. And so when I had that epiphany, if you will, in 2014, 2015, I started researching. It turns out 15 million workers work in call centers, okay? Wow it's a $500 billion industry. And I said, this is an industry that's waiting to be disrupted. Much like the founder of Uber would have thought the the logistics or transportation industry is waiting to be disrupted. Or the founder of Airbnb would have thought the same thing about their industry. I thought about the call center industry like that. Mm -hmm. And from that day, we've just gotten deeper and deeper and deeper, learned about their problems and solved one product at a time. Said, listen, we're going to come up with a suite of products that, that's going to go end-to-end, right from the caller calling in to following up. How do you get AI infused in every single conversation so that the caller is getting a great experience? But for the workers, you know, people always say a great customer experience comes from a great employee experience. When the call center workers are less fatigued, yeah. when they know they don't have to run around seven systems trying to get your answer, they will hopefully delight you on the conversation. And I've personally seen that occur. Yeah. So it's one thing to see a problem.
0: It's another thing to see a solution. And it's another thing to implement a solution, right? What was your background in that gave you the ability or the knowledge or skill set to say, hey, I, I, I think I can solve this problem.
1: Yeah. So by training and, or by education, I'm a computer science engineer, okay? That's the education I, I went in. And I have to say the, uh, in my university, the, the professor I had, the head of department of computer science, yeah, I'm still very close to him. What's a tough cookie? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the, his process of teaching the course was he would say, in your exam, it's going to be an open book exam. Okay. Sure. But out of 35, the highest score would have been 1.35. And a lot of people would get negative and zeros despite it being open book.
0: <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> Wait a second. Wait a second. Yes. Wait a second. 100% was a 35. And people were averaging a 1.35. This test is rough.
1: (laughs) And this was my four years of engineering, every course that I took with that professor. But here's the training it it gave me. that it's not about the concepts. It's not about what's written in the book. It's how you apply it. Yeah. Because the questions, if you look at the exam and you had seven books next to you, you were allowed to open any book. How is it that you can't find the answer? Because the question was, design a game that does this, this, and this. There is no textbook which gives you the Im- immediate answer. As long as you have the concepts in your head, then you be creative and you say, I'm going to use A, B, and there's no one answer. Okay. You can use any technique, but ultimately the output is design again. Okay. So my four years of education training just pushed me, and I'm grateful for my professors to apply knowledge as opposed to just read it or mug it up or just get grades. Okay. And so. Using that, I tried to do a startup before Unifor with the same co-founder, Ravi. And uh, we were just, you know, we were great at technology, but we weren't weren't good at solving real business problems. That was the learning. Mm -hmm. So when it came to Unifor, we flipped. We said, we will not start developing technology until we understand the problem. Once we understand the problem, we can back our abilities to come up with one of the best solutions in the world, okay? So the reason Unifor... I believe is successful and it's going well for us is that we didn't build a product looking for a a problem to solve. Yeah. We found a problem and then we started building solutions for it.
0: Yeah. And you picked an industry, like you said, I remember reading a quote by Aaron Levy, who's the CEO of box where he said, Hey, find the oldest stodgiest slowest moving industry and your opportunity for success goes through the roof because for whatever reason, you know, think about young engineers. If I'm, a, if I'm a young engineer and I'm a first year or whatever at Stanford or Caltech, and I don't know these problems exist, therefore, I don't think about solutions to solve them. But you find a problem that's that big, it's like, dang, no one's working on this. This is worth investing my time. You mentioned before that you, it sounds like you had started something before and you brought some hard lessons to the next thing. One of them being, hey, let's find this problem to solve. When you first started solving the problem, there's an element to your business and every business and founder has to do, you've already mentioned it before, which is sales. Were you already a natural salesperson at the time or was that something you had to learn to do? Because we find different technical founders like this, right? it's like, you've built something, but now comes the hard part, convincing someone else to give you a shot when you're, I mean, really, you're nobody, right? You're not a company, you're just two guys building something.
1: <laughs> you know, th- this is this is a very personal story. Only very few people, my wife knows it, my co-founder knows this, but in, you're right. In the first year, we were lucky this company was being incubated in a university because we were building tech. We went to the best university setup, up and we said, listen, we're going to use your resources and help us build the technology. Nice. And uh, if it's successful, we'll build a business venture. So the university helped us raise $100,000 as seed capital to get going. So we hired five or six engineers. We got some computers and we all started building the product furiously. And you're so right. As technical founders, we were deep in solving the problem, perfecting the solution, and unless things are perfect, we won't, you know, take it take it to market. And then I remember we had a review with the university at the end of a year. Okay, and again, I'm grateful to my mentors. I had a very tough mentor in this university, and. One of the questions he asked me, he said, looks like you're, you have three months of capital remaining. Like the cash is running out. You have three more months of the way you're going about it. So when, what's about, what about sales and what about revenue? And have you thought about it? And My answer was, oh, I thought you'll help us raise the next round of funding. (laughs) And He said, you know, son, in three months, if you run out of money, you'll go back home. (laughs) I'm done with you. And so that was such a wake up call to me. I'm like, oh, I got to go sell this thing. I love it. So I I sat with my co-founder and we said, both of us have been just busy building the product. One of us has got to step out. The other one has got to double up and do two people's work. (laughs) And so my co-founder said, okay, you go sell. I'll keep burning the oil and keep building the product. And so uh, then I reached out to some mentors and say, how do you sell? Okay. What do I do? Who do I go to? Right. What's selling? And then I learned the art of cold calling, looking up, people's LinkedIn and databases, reaching out to them through email or phone or, or LinkedIn, like literally cold calling them and pitching the idea. But I would say that very quickly, I started enjoying this new process. Yeah. It's really important, right? To learn something new, you've got to enjoy it. And I, I enjoyed the, the mechanics of selling, the emotional connect that you have to form with your buyer, and now you're convincing them, ultimately build trust right? Your, your currencies at the end of the day is, is trust and credibility, right? And so as that progress came forward, company started to grow. I brought in more people. We raised some more financing this time on our own, not relying on the university mentors. And we just scaled it up, but you're so right. As technical founders, especially as young technical founders, selling is not natural. It doesn't come naturally to us.
0: Yeah. So You know, a lot of people, when they start companies, you know, Unifor is no different, right? When you started, what it looks like, it didn't, it didn't look like what it looks like today. You didn't have all these parts and pieces. You had, I'm assuming an MVP of some type. In that first meeting, we sat down and showed the product, you know, it's, it can be nerve wracking showing your, your life's work or whatever to someone for the first time. I'm sure you got some critical feedback. How did you take critical feedback and say, Hey, this is what we need to improve on because some people get that feeling of defeat. They hear that critical feedback, like, oh, I'm done. This is, they, they don't like this product. How did you approach critical feedback when you first started selling the product?
1: I have to say, this is one thing that we've done well. Because very early, the attitude I got myself into, I'd read, I'd read a book. And the attitude that I developed was, I have to be fortunate that somebody cares enough to even give me feedback. Okay. It'll be really an unfortunate day where somebody just doesn't care and doesn't <laughs> and stops giving you critical feedback. Yeah. So not just then, but even today, when somebody, when a customer, when an analyst, when an investor gives me anything which drives me in a place where I need to improve something on our product, on the way our lo- our website looks, on the way we sell, on getting into a new country, on our HR policies, on our culture, any feedback, I just in my head I go, thank you so much that you know you took the time. And you care to tell me. And now it becomes my responsibility to a, evaluate if I think your feedback's right, right? I need to be thoughtful about it. Not every feedback can be enacted upon, Yeah, but if there's something I can do, I'll do it. And then I'll come back and tell you, thank you. You gave me that feedback several months ago. Here's what I did about it. I closed the loop with whoever. It doesn't matter who they are. It could be a fresh engineer now in the company who just joined a month ago. And they can send me an email and saying, Umesh, great, great to be in your company, but here's a feedback. I make it a point to go back to them and say, I was, I was grateful that you wrote to me. Here's what we did about it. Tell me, is it better now? And so we've just, from the beginning, always looked at criticism or feedback as you know, good fortune.
0: Yeah. And I agree with you that conversational AI, we got to have it. Like It's got to be easier to understand the way you describe finding information I love it. I'd love it to exist for me. When I call in a call center, I don't even want to talk to someone. I'd love for me to just talk to someone just, and then give me the answer, or maybe show me videos on how to solve my problem. That'd be kind of cool. But we've also been growing with this technology, meaning you know we've been introduced pitches of AI conversational technology that it's going to be all bot driven. I remember just you know in 2000, I think 14 or 15, there was like the rise of the bots. Bots are going to take over everything. Hasn't quite happened yet, but you know one of the things is it's an evolution. And so for yourself, when did you first recognize like, hey, we were, I got, we got some breakthrough technology. What is the moment there's like, okay, we are on the path, like a feature. Was it, was it ever a feature? Was it like a program? Was it a process that let you be like, okay, we are on the path because this, the way we've coded this conversational AI, it really does understand, you know, whatever percentage it is of, of commands, because I'm still stuck. My mind's still stuck in the days of remember back in the day when you would call like, you know tell me your account number. I'd say like, what do you want? You know, billing, you want something else? like, no billing, (laughs) like saying the same thing over and over again. It's painful. (laughs) You know, we've all had that experience. Talk about when you first, when you guys were like, okay, we've built something that this is going to, this is going to change the way things are done.
1: So even as you were asking me this question, I think back and I can think about three key milestones in 15 years where those inflection points occurred in my head. The first one was that You know, the first uh, product we built for the call center wasn't wasn't this self-service bot. Right. It was actually one where an enterprise came to us and said, you know, we record every single call. And you would have heard that we say, your call will be recorded for quality and training purposes. And I said, yeah, it's all right. You record every single call. How many of those are there? And it turns out it's about 52 million hours per day. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So... And then I said, okay, so you record them. Now what do you do with them? And they said, exactly. That's where we need help because there is no human way of listening to those recordings. Now we record it for reasons. We record it for compliance and regulation. We also record it so that we can get better by learning from it. Mm -hmm. And then we have a quality monitoring team, okay? Which has a task of picking up random 1% sample of those recordings because that's as much as they can do in a day. Random 1% sample." They listen to those random one-person calls, and then they come up with recommendations of improvements. And so they said, can your AI be trained to be as good as my quality people in listening and picking up trends and improvement areas? And if if your AI gets trained, I'm assuming it can listen to 100% of the calls because now you can have computers scale this process up. So that became the first product. We called it speech analytics. We could pick up all your recordings at the end of the day, And in minutes, the AI runs through them and says, hey, agent A could do better in soft skills in greeting the customer. Agent B doesn't seem to have skills or knowledge in this area. Go train them. So that was an inflection. We saw the product and we saw, oh my God, every call center would need this. Okay. So that was inflection point one. Yeah, that's awesome. Inflection point two was uh, I moved from India to the US and pitched to a major healthcare insurer here, the same product, speech analytics. And they said, "Hmm, wait a minute, if you can do all this, why do you do it at the end of the day? Can you do it real time? And I'm like, whoa, okay, Uh, this is interesting. (laughs) So you're really saying that as the call is occurring, my AI is listening and making recommendations. So you see the the genesis of the modern world came out. So our customers have been very insightful. And we took about 12 months to get that real-time MVP going post the customers asking us, but we became the first company to bring real-time agent assistant into this world. And my third inflection point, Albert, this is the most exciting thing for me personally, is during the pandemic, several things are changing very rapidly, right? But one of the things that's changed almost permanently is how we will do business with each other, how we will work. Look, you and I are meeting on a video call, okay? Several companies have permanently given up office spaces. Yeah. So, their expenditure on commercial real estate is shifting to Zoom or WebEx or teams and things like that. yeah, a lot of companies are saying we probably will not do as much business travel. We will not go to Chicago at the drop of a hat because a customer is available for lunch. We will not travel to Eastern Europe because we have a meeting. We will try as much as possible to do this over video collaboration software. Occasionally, we'll meet because human that's very human, right so. The fact that not just in call centers, but in every part of the business, the way we interact with each other, the way we sell, the way we market, the way we recruit talent is now happening over calls. They're video calls, but they are calls. These are conversations. So we've expanded our vision of saying conversational automation. Whoever said it's only supposed to be in the call center. Okay. The technology that we build that's working so well for the call center worker should help a salesperson, should help an HR person, etc. cetera. But the one thing missing in the extension story was that, remember I said, these are video calls. Whereas in the call center, we are always calling. Yeah. So the one key difference that we didn't have in our jigsaw puzzle is we could pick up uh, speech, we could pick up NLP, we could pick up tone. But listen, for the last 20 seconds, I've been talking, but you've been nodding, right? Yeah. You can raise your eyebrow, you can get distracted with your phone each time you do something with your gestures or face, you communicate to me. My brain reads the signal, right? And so we didn't have the ability to read the physical communication signals. We could hear words, we could hear tone. And so earlier this year, we ended up acquiring a company called Emotion Research Lab out of Spain, which was just like us, a a good, bright, technology-led startup in Spain, which had solved for this problem. They have a computer vision, AI software that can pick up facial movements, the, the moments of our muscles in real time and say, this is a distracted viewer. This is a very engaged viewer. Yeah. This viewer has a question. This viewer is not interested. And now as we combine it with our technology, we're building products, not just for the call center, but for sales and marketing and talent uh, departments in the organization, et cetera. So the, the scope of what we do Just you know, just expanded and became a massive opportunity.
0: Listen, the information recall—that's the part I'm most fascinated by personally. The information recall, because I could see that directly benefiting myself at work. It all—I can also see directly benefiting myself as a consumer, right? Because I can see—I've talked to HR before, where they said, "I don't know. Let me go look this up. It takes forever." Right? (laughs) We've all been on the phone where we talked to someone they don't know. This takes forever. You know, one of the things that I hear from you about this real-time one that you mentioned that was one big inflection point, translating or doing analysis AI in real time. One of the things I think about is how, how did you make that possible? Because I got to ask, because call centers, you mentioned antiquated technology. That's true. So that means unless you're running the program directly in their software. So it was like, I guess it's cloud to cloud. Is that how the data is transferring through your tool? or Because it can't be local because their machines are... I mean, let's get straight up. The, AI, the, the customer service team does not get the best machines. That's a fact, right? We, we
1: don't. Can't, we, we,
0: <laughs> so it can't be a local program. It has to be cloud to cloud, right? So they have to be using I'm assuming it's a cloud to cloud service. How is the infrastructure set up to make that real-time compute happen?
1: So first of all, you've demonstrated to me that you think like a software architect. So I'm going to speak to you <laughs> in that language. First of all, 70% of call center industry today in 2021 yeah, is on-premise. Only 30% has moved to the cloud, okay? <laughs> now, obviously, the 30% that has moved to the cloud, as you would recognize, that makes it much easier on the cloud. The cloud-to-cloud architecture is a solved problem, right? So yeah, if you already have a modern call center running in the cloud, which is called CCAS, contact center, yeah. cloud contact center as a service, and several companies do it, yep. we integrate with most of the big cloud contact center providers, just out of the box, okay?
0: Right. So the data records
1: can transfer in real time, no problem. Immediately, so as the call is happening, uh, their contact center infrastructure just passes on that audio to us in real time. It becomes much more challenging when it's on premise, right? And that's 70% of the industry even today, okay? And we really hope that it's gonna migrate and shift and, and all of that. But we, for us to be a major player, we had to solve for that problem too. So concept is similar, but now you build real plumbing pipes, you build plumbing integrations with the premise contact center software. Yeah. Much, much that as the call happens, as the call lands on the trunk, you get the audio feed in real time coming out of that premise software. So what we now do is we do a hybrid. Our applications run on the cloud, but the plumbing is on premise. So we get a feed and then we stream it to ourselves.
0: You stream it to yourselves over network and stream it back in real time so that it can return through the line or the data points into your software. So the person in real time, they're talking to a person, that's one line, feed two is that exact data stream. Network sends it up to cloud, processes it back down. They're now seeing on screen any of the help tips that they need. That is fascinating. The challenges, now there's definitely challenges when you have to, because it sounds like you have to install equipment on-prem.
1: Well, it's yes, it's, it's more software than hardware, but yes. Okay,
0: okay. You made a comment, your stat was pretty interesting. So we've had AWS and GCP people on our, um, our show before, and they said, you know, as big as cloud is, trillion dollar businesses, they've all said, and they all have different numbers, no one really knows, but they've said less than 20% of the world's workloads are in the cloud so far. It's, we are still in on-prem world, which is fascinating because you would think everything's in the cloud now, but it's not.
1: It's not. It's really not. And by the way, some of it is probably uh, because regulation hasn't caught up. Right, financial services, telecom service providers, healthcare, the regulation, which is, by the way, to protect us consumers and our data, is being thoughtful. And I can appreciate that. But at the same time, you know, the world is at a point where I think the migration to cloud will accelerate.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. Umesh, it was awesome having you today on IT Visionaries. But before you go, it is time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by the Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Umesh, this is where we ask you simple questions so that our audience can get to know you a little bit better. They're usually about things outside of work. Some work might slip in. That's okay. You ready?
1: Oh boy. I was so comfortable <laughs> answering on technology this is This is going to be fun. Bring it on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. You've already told the story of your mentor that made a huge impact on your life.
1: Who else has made a major impact on your life? Well, this one's easy. Uh, John Chambers, the former CEO of Cisco. I met him in 2016. He was a keynote speaker at a conference. I was quirky enough to reach out to him and make a sales pitch. Oh, there he is. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it was a very cocky sales pitch and you know, would not have got me any dollars from a customer, but he laughed and he said, I see a lot of my younger myself in you. And he decided to mentor me. He became an investor in my company and is a board member. So a lot of my uh, leadership lessons and life lessons as I grow my business right now is John Chambers. He's had a big impact on my life.
0: That's awesome. You know, you mentioned you, it sounds like you were building in India, you moved to the United States. What was the biggest change for you coming from India to the United States?
1: Well, uh, I moved from a lot of beer and single malt to to wine because I'm now in California. (laughs) So (laughs) things like those. (laughs) There've been several major changes. Uh, My daughter was four when she moved here, my wife and I. But, uh, you know, we're, we're just happy to be here. It's been uh, great for Unifor. It's been good for us personally. But it's uh, culturally, you know, it's things like those. <laughs> so literally the best way to describe the cultural shift was move from beer and single malt to wine.
0: There you go. When you see in movies, in movies, AI is often depicted as evil, right? <laughs> Do you see a point where we as humans will only talk to robots?
1: No. No. Okay. And I'm, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that doesn't occur. Now, can it occur? Can AI go in the wrong, wrong hands and do, do bad things for the world? 100%. There is no question. But AI is one of those things, much like the industrial revolution, the Silicon Revolution, where technology came about to make our lives better. Okay. Yeah. Imagine there was a time in this world where tractors didn't exist. So, how do you do it? farming? You do it manually. Yeah. Plows. Right. And when tractors came, I'm sure the topic at that point, If there was a social media, the the topic would have been tractors would take away our jobs and tractors are evil, but it didn't turn out like that. When Henry Ford made the first mechanized factory lineup of building cars, I'm sure the talk was, oh, this would take away jobs and it's evil. It didn't turn out like that. So AI has the big potential in our lifetime to revolutionize how we work, how we live, make our lives better, basically give more time back to us as professionals, right? We shouldn't have to do five uh, or six working days, weeks. We should do three, four, and the rest of it is AI. And so I'm of the opinion and I'm in the camp that AI will make our lives better. And we must all try to fight the bad elements uh, who could misuse AI.
0: I agree. Listen, Umesh said three or four days of work a week. Hey, listen, Umesh for president. Okay, man, like... (laughs) (laughs) like Thank you again for joining us today on IT Visionaries. We know you have a call to go to. We won't ask what it's about, but thank you again for joining us on IT Visionaries. It was great hearing your story from an idea to where it is today. It's pretty fascinating. Unifor, everybody. U-N-I-P-H-O-R-E. That's Unifor if you want to check it out. Mesh, thanks for being on IT Visionaries.
1: Thank you for having me.